You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 16 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock. Jake Query along with Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton here as well on a Tuesday. Good morning to you. Uh, Kevin, interesting comments from Washington about their quarterback situation and one that probably is going to sound familiar to people around here, but before they gloat over the fact of we were right, uh, it could have some negative impact on the Colts, correct? Yeah, and just to reiterate, with that trade for Carson Wentz, um, the Colts still have one piece of that trade uh, to be decided. It's either going to be a second or third round pick from Washington. If Carson Wentz plays 70% of the snap, so that's right around it's like 12 or 13 games. Um, so far, he's played every snap for them. That would be a second round pick coming to Indianapolis if he does not play. 70%, that would be a third-round pick. Um, and just to explain a little bit of the implications on that, we're going to play some Ron Rivera audio here in a second, which is not a ringing endorsement for his quarterback situation. I also think there's a lot of context within the answer to the question that honestly is a bit applicable to the Colts situation at quarterback, and we'll, we'll play that audio here in just a minute. But right now, if the Colts were to get the Washington second-round pick, that would be number 34 overall. Ironically, that's the spot you had when you took Michael Pittman. Um, if it was the third-round pick of Washington, that would be number 66 overall. And if you played around kind of with the trade machines for the draft, then okay, if the Colts need to move up to get a quarterback, what's the difference in that? I mean, you're looking at the difference in about a handful of spots based on the second-round pick from Washington versus the third-rounder. So if the Colts took their first-round pick, which right now I think is at 18, and they wanted to package additional picks to try and move up next April for a quarterback, the difference between having 34 overall attached to that trade and 66 overall attached to that trade would be the difference, Jake, in drafting 8th versus like 13th. Which, I mean, that's notable. I mean, that's five spots. And in a quarterback, I think there is some signs that there, this is a much deeper quarterback draft than last year, but there's also some quarterback needy teams in the top 10. I do think this is something to really monitor, and the Rivera comments yesterday I think adds to that. Here are, do we have Mark the audio? Ron Rivera was asked, keep in mind, Carson Wentz is their signal caller. Some interesting comments. Here we go. Why do you think the teams in the division are farther ahead at this point? Quarterback. The truth is that this is a quarterback-driven league. And if you look at the teams that have been able to sustain success, they've been able to build it around a specific quarterback. Now, what's interesting is in the division that they the commanders find themselves. So the NFC East... What he is saying there, if you were to decipher it, we, the Washington Commanders, are behind in our division because we are not getting the play at quarterback that the New York Giants are getting in Daniel Jones, who is in probably his last bit of the rope before they decide whether or not he is indeed the guy. The Dallas Cowboys, whose franchise quarterback has been hurt for the majority of this season, and the Philadelphia Eagles with a guy that 
they selected over the guy that Washington is using as their quarterback. None of those are players that are that were ever like, holy cow, wow me moment from the get-go. This is the guy. I mean, Dak Prescott might be, but he's been hurt, right? So it's not like he's saying that we are lagging behind at the quarterback position and he is in the AFC West where you have Herbert Mahomes, Derek Carr, and Russell Wilson. You could make the argument that the league and or the division in which Washington plays has, in totality, the most uncertainty at quarterback for the other franchises. Jalen Hurts clearly is a very good player. Daniel Jones looks to be an adequate player. And Dallas has stability at quarterback, but not necessarily in terms of who it's going to be week to week. There's a little bit more context from Ron Rivera on that. I do want to play this additionally to what you just heard. Chose the quarterback here, though. So do you have any regrets about that or how do you? No, I got no regrets about their quarterback. I think our quarterback has done some good things. There's been a couple of games that he struggled. Um, but you look at his numbers from yesterday, and you would say, okay, look at his numbers he's had throughout the year. There was a time he was, you know, uh, very solid. And then, um, un- you know, we had the unfortunate Philadelphia game, and he struggled a little bit in the Dallas game. But the way he performed yesterday, it just shows you, you know, what he's capable of. And, you know, we chose him because we believe him. We chose him because we looked at what we felt were, were, were things that pointed towards him. I think something to keep in mind with this win situation is, first off, he did show up on the injury report yesterday. They play on Thursday night against Chicago with a right shoulder injury. So you got to monitor his health, not just him getting outright benched. I mean, if all of a sudden he gets hurt, right. that would, you know, be a third-round pick instead of a second-round pick. I think what Washington has to decide, and part of this is a bit laughable, but, like, when do they get to a point where they're like, guys, the Eagles and the Colts were right. (laughs) Why did we do this? Right. And when are they going to cut their losses? And does it come a point within that division where you have the 5-0 Eagles, the 4-1 Cowboys, the 4-1 Giants, and the 1-4 Commanders, if they're eliminated by, like, Thanksgiving, do they sit there and say, and this might be an ownership thing, which I know is a bit laughable considering the franchise, but does ownership say, play Sam Howe. Play the rookie that you drafted out of North Carolina for the final month plus of the season. Let's see what you have. And does that all of a sudden say, we need to start thinking about the future? We want to keep, or maybe we don't you know, want to give up You know that magnitude of a pick in that situation? And they just say, enough is enough. Philly and... Indianapolis were, were exactly right in how they viewed Carson Wentz. Okay. I, I think those are some things to watch. Two things here real quick, Kevin, okay? Now, I want to do this rapid fire. I'm going to name a franchise, and you tell me that in this upcoming draft, if you believe that quarterback is going to be a priority for them. You ready? Sure. Washington. Yeah. Chicago. Say no. Jacksonville. No. We're, we're doing the whole team, the whole league here, so we're quick. Okay. Uh, San Francisco. No. Atlanta. Yes. New England. No. Cleveland. No. Jets. No. Packers. No. Vikings. I don't think so. Dolphins. No. Bengals. No. Saints. Yes. Ravens. No. Giants. Yes. Bucks. 
I'll say no. Kyle Trask, they draft him. Steelers. No. Panthers. Yes. Rams. No. Cardinals. No. Seahawks. Yes. Bills. No. Chiefs. No. Cowboys. No. Eagles. No. Chargers. No. Broncos. No. Okay, so that means there are one, two, three, four, five, six teams, yeah, that are looking for a quarterback. Did you mention Houston? I'd definitely throw Houston. Oh, I'm sorry, Detroit. Okay, Detroit. Detroit and Houston, yeah. I mean, you could argue those would be the top two teams. And Raiders and Titans probably as well, right? Well, Well, no, I forgot they had Willis, yeah. So, ten teams, yeah. So, you're in a a pretty thick hopper there, despite how deep the quarterback draft might be. So, you want to be in the top five of that group probably. Some of those teams, you know, New York is likely not going to be in that mix this year. New Orleans may find some competency, and you know, so you're you're kind of in the in the middle of that. And several of those teams have additional draft picks early in the draft. Now that you need to keep an eye on, like the Colts aren't in a great draft capital situation. They could, you know, depending on if this pick gets to be a second rounder, that's obviously really good for the Colts. But if I'm not mistaken, a few of those teams on that list have two first round picks. Now, here's the other thing that I will admit to, and and I'm going to apologize to people. I will apologize to them because as a broadcaster and as a sports radio host, it is our job to be able to articulate our thoughts on things. And it is our job to be able to illustrate for people and paint a picture that people can see it. And immediately, we are not supposed to be... Rembrandt like we're not supposed to you're not supposed to have to look at a painting and and sit there and interpret it we are supposed to be like very direct I know exactly what that is we're supposed to be able to, to, to immediately tell you what we think when it comes to Carson Wentz there's something about him as a quarterback that I don't trust or like and I can't pinpoint what it is I don't know if it's just the power of suggestion I I I don't know I think he probably is a really nice guy as a matter of fact I know people that I think he still has a home here. And I know people that live in his neighborhood that see him on the golf course and their kids have like run into him in public that said he's a super nice fellow. I I don't have any reason to believe he's not. There's just something about him that rubs me the wrong way. And I and I don't know if it's the power of suggestion of when he came here from Philadelphia it was, you know, this guy's a pain. I don't know. I can't pinpoint it. There's just something about him. Well, you and you and Jim Irsay should meet for dinner. Cause well, you, you know, there's would, my would, quarterback. Would uh, yeah, I don't know. Colts commanders to end the month here at Lucas Oil Stadium. We'll see if Carson Wentz is still under center when that one takes place. Tart Glenn Ring of Honor game as well. So just before we were coming out of the break, our next guest called in, and Mark Dykton, who grew up in the Chicago area and is a diehard Cubs fan, uh, hyperventilated. Right, Mark? Yeah. Sweaty palms. A little bit. I can fanboy a little bit. Yeah. You fanboyed, right? I did. I believe you said, and I quote, thank you so much, sir, for not only doing everything you did, but for being simply on the planet at the same time as me and bringing the Chicago Cubs a world championship. Isn't that what you said? (laughs) I feel like you're being a little little facetious there, but yeah, I'll take it. Uh, Joining us now, he has a new book out. As a matter of fact, it's out right now. Try Not to Suck at Baseball and Life, the Book of Joe. Joe Madden, who, of course, Cubs fans, among other franchises, he needs no introduction, joins us on the Payless Liquors guest line to talk about the book and more. Joe, first off, thanks so much for joining us. Good morning to you. Good morning to you guys, too, and I really do appreciate you having me on. I do. Joe, where did this idea 
begin. I've always found myself pretty interested in you from afar. Unlike Mark, I'm not a Cubs fan. I'm a Reds fan, so um, I guess I should be cussing under my breath at you. Uh, but nonetheless, when did this idea start, and uh, how did it begin, I guess? Well, it really began in 2008 with the with the Rays. We went to the World Series of first that year, and um, a lot of folks asked me to, to do a book afterwards, and I really wasn't ready to do that. I did not think I had really earned the right to even consider doing a book. So uh, it just kept going. After the 19th season with the Cubs, I happened to run into Tom Berducci, and I said, um, listen, this, I think it's about time, and I'd be interested in doing this, and I'd really like to do it with you. And so we, we got together, and the premise is to really compare and contrast managing in the big leagues uh, from uh, 1980s to present day. That's the primary uh, purpose of the book, as well as to expound on some uh, of the madnisms that like Tommy likes to call them, the different things that I've said. Each chapter has a heading, and we go into more detail about it. So it's a, you know, it's baseball philosophical, and I'm hoping that it really appeals to a wider audience than just a baseball audience, and those that might be into the leadership roles might uh, take to it also. Joe, to me managing and I get you know baseball is an interesting sport to me because you have there are so many pieces that that go in and out and I think that people feel like to be a successful manager it strictly is the strategy of x's and o's when you look back at your career was the greater strength of Joe Madden understanding the game of baseball or understanding and meshing personalities on a team I think it always starts with the people and, and the personalities and um, the culture that you attempt to create. Maybe then eventually you do. This started in the 80s with me. Um, it's in the book. I, I did. Um, I was the instructional league uh, coordinator, and Gene Mock happened to be the manager at that time. And this is how this all started for me. Um, I'm throwing BP in the cage. You know, if you talk to Gene walks up, and uh, all of his polyester glory, and, and calls me over and says, um, you've created a great atmosphere around here. I had no idea what he was talking about, but it caused me to go home that night and think about it. And exactly what you are talking about was the communication component, the relationships, the trust, all these things that maybe at that particular age was doing just organically, which is great, but then you want to replicate it on an annual basis. So I had to stop and think, what's going on here? Um, I, I really feel strong about my X's and O's too because I've had some great mentors, but on an annual basis, the most important thing to do is connect with people. Joe Madden is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Again, the book of Joe, Try Not to Suck at Baseball <laughs> and Life. Every time I hear that title, it's not it's great. Not to smile. Uh, Joe, it's true. <laughs> even though I'm not a Cubs fan, I certainly can picture exactly where I was in watching Game 7, I guess a little over, right around a handful of years ago. Um, what did you think when the rain delay happened, and what did you do during the rain delay? fortuitous kind of you know we had to regroup a little bit um what i did was uh i, I there's a the dugout in, in uh, cleveland there's a steps going down and steps going up i went to my office to check on the weather report and uh actually joe joe west he told me it's gonna be 17 minutes i don't know why he said 17 but anyway i was going to check in as i'm going in and up the stairs our players are going into the weight room and jason hayward had called us meeting, which absolutely uh, probably turned the whole thing around. So I was upstairs, I was talking to, to Jed Hoyer, we're trying to reassure ourselves we're going to be all right, because uh, we get punched in the gut like that, it's very difficult, obviously, we got through the ninth inning and uh, had to come back out and play, but I do believe the, the rain delay, uh, being able to regroup, the idea of the boys getting together and then coming out as fresh as it was the first inning was really remarkable. Did you listen to what Hayward had to say, or did you know... He's going to handle it, and I don't need to say anything. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much like that. I trust, uh, again, I trust leadership. Uh, one of the, again, one of the tones in the book is the fact that I believe uh, the more freedom given, for lack of a better term, the greater respect and discipline return. So um, even with you guys, you guys, you know, there's, there's a back and forth all year. Um, sometimes guys don't like you because you might have to pinch it or take them out of a game, whatever. Pitcher, same thing. But at the end of the day, we're all on the same page. So I trusted Jason. Jason Hale was one of the best leaders I've been around um, since I've been doing this. I know his offensive numbers weren't as great as everybody wanted him to be in Chicago, but uh, on a daily basis, this guy showed up, and I always felt while I was there, we were a better team when he was on the field. So I totally trusted Jason. Joe Madden is our guest. He's on the Payless Liquors guest line. Again, the book is Joe Madden, Try Not to Suck at Baseball and Life, the book of Joe. Joe, one of the things about you that, you know, I think you're aware of this, that fans that kind of transcended baseball. So non-baseball fans, I think, were intrigued and enjoyed Joe Madden because of the fact that you had and brought a colorful personality to it. Is there, when one has eccentricities, if this makes sense, is it difficult to make sure that those things are always authentic? And is there a danger? And I'm not saying you did this, but for, for people in the game of life, if people try too hard to become, you know, eccentric, are they then in fact ordinary? Does that make sense what I'm asking in terms of finding that balance to connecting with people, but doing so in a genuine and authentic fashion? hundred percent. It makes sense. And, and I, listen, I, I'm from the coal regions of Northeastern Pennsylvania. That's where I'm sitting right now. I'd have got my butt kicked if I acted any other way growing up by a lot of different people. Um, whatever, whatever anybody has perceived to me to this point, um, believe me, it's, uh, I do, I know it's, it's an authentic method. It's, I, I can't, I can't fabricate who I am or what I would do on a daily basis. Anytime, uh, a, a former player, whomever coach gets a job as a manager, they ask me for my advice. And I said, please, of all things, be yourself. I think the, the problem with some guys is they get jobs like that, a major league manager's job, and all of a sudden they change because they feel like they have to do things differently. Um, I've never felt that way. Uh, you know, as a quarterback when I was 10 years old, I made football all the way up through. You've always been in the huddle. You've always been uh, out front and leading in different capacities. So I know one thing for sure. Uh, people can smell a rat real quickly, and they know when not if it's authenticity or it's a fabrication. And for that, uh, just like uh, in the book, again, I hate to keep referencing, but the Hemingway quote of he writes, he sits down uh, to write a book and he will write one true sentence, the truest sentence that he knows, and then he goes to the next one. And I think that's the only way. And I never, you know, I never thought of it in those terms until I read it. And uh, that's true. I mean, I think authenticity begins with one true sentence. If there was a book written about a rift that took place between Albert Pujols and Joe Madden, would that book be in the fiction or nonfiction section of the bookstore? Well, it's fiction. I mean, no, Albert, Albert and I got along well. Um, uh, he was upset when he left. Absolutely. He was. And, um, the day that I did not have him in the lineup, but I, there was other things going on that I knew of and I couldn't play him that day. And that was it. Um, uh, but no, um, Albert and I had some, like, especially when I first got there, some great conversations, Thinking about Albert that people don't realize, and I've, I've mentioned it, I've said it to him, it's like, uh, this guy does a lot off the field that people have no clue about. Everybody looks at the home runs and everything else, and uh, right away, that's Albert Pujols. But uh, his foundation that really um, helps the kids with Down syndrome, people with Down syndrome, uh, is is incredible. I attended his first, my, uh, an event of his, the first year I got the job. 
And then when we were going through the pandemic, this guy picked up um, a tab for salaries among a lot of um, uh, Dominican employees that we had at that particular time. Albert, who's got a really big heart. So everybody sees the baseball version of him. I like the person version of him. Again, it's the book of Joe, Try Not to Suck at Baseball and Life. Joe Madden with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Joe, if I gave you um, a title of commissioner of Major League Baseball and uh, allowed you to change two rules, what would you change? I would not. Uh, absolutely, the, the three batter minimum, I don't like at all. And the uh, runner at second base, please stop doing that. <laughs> Little, uh, little more traditional in your base in that regard, right? Well, I mean, I, what is it traditional? It's the game. I mean, I, I really, you know, it's funny when people you know, think of something as being progressive. It's just somebody's new idea that you throw out there. It doesn't mean it's better. Um, I like the idea that the game is measured from back in the 1800s. I think that's pretty cool. No other game is measured in that way. And, you know, I'm hearing about different uh, groups trying to go match up bullpen in the latter part of the game going into the playoffs, how do you do that with a three-batter minimum? How, how do you play a matchup bullpen? I'm, I'm talking about for closer at the end of the game. It, it's not a good rule. It, it's not a good rule. It's, it's actually uh, almost created a, a, the left-handed specialist has become a dinosaur, and he can be a very you know, uh, important player. And furthermore, like you lose games because of that. You put a guy on second base, and, and the inning starts, and it just, it's serendipitous. Something's happened, and you lose. Don't like that. Um, you're forced to use three, uh, a pitcher for three consecutive hitters, and you lose. Don't like that because that's really not strategically what you would do otherwise. So there's a lot of things that um, impact or inflict upon trying to do the right thing to win a game as a manager, and these two rules really at the top of the list for me. You know, that leads kind of to a, an age-old argument I've had with a buddy for years, Joe, and, and Joe Madden, you can settle this argument once and for all. When you were a kid back in Pennsylvania, you're a kid, you're playing backyard baseball with your buddies, and you got to use a ghost runner, right? We've all used the ghost runner. <laughs> so you got a ghost man on second, and you hit a double. What happens to the ghost man? Scores. Thank you. Yes. Yes. See, people think that he has to be forced in. And I'm like, who is your ghost man? Sid Bream? He scores on a double, right? Of course he does. Uh, of course he does. And when he's a runner on first base, he scores on a triple. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's exactly right. Math, he, man. The easiest, easiest question Joe Madden. It's a whole run. The guy from home plate scores, too. I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, what's I don't understand that one at all. Now, let me ask you this, though. I love this. This is what I love. For 100 years, guys have tried to be the manager that broke the Cubs' curse and, and get them a World Series. You did that. You, Los Angeles, Southern California, Orange County, best, most beautiful weather in, in the country. You, you lived and you managed there. Yet when it comes down to it, you're back in the place where it all began for you in Pennsylvania. People in Indiana, I think, can relate to that never forgetting your roots. But with all of your travels, with all of the success and all of the fame, what is it about home that made you return? So I am. Um, I mean, the dirt here is, is, is my dirt. Um, the people of the city itself, I drive through it often. We've, we've gone through some tough times here over the last uh, 15, 20 years. It's been a total remake of the area. But a lot of the buildings in the place still exist, and I drive and I think, and I'm just, I'm so wanting this uh, Hazleton area to rebound and come back to the glory that it once had when, when Cole was king. 
we mentioned that we have this big distribution center because Interstates 80 and 81 intersect right here. So I've, I've been disappointed. I, I, you know, that's how we got together and did a respect 90J and myself, my wife, and uh, tried to, we, we created the Hazleton Integration, uh, uh, Hazleton Integration, yep. Uh, and then with that, we have the Hazleton One Community Center to try to bring the Hispanic and Anglo cultures together in our hometown. And so this is this is who I am. Um, I think it's really important wherever you eventually end up being and exist and work, absolutely you should become part of that community and, and help and aid and make it a better place. But I also believe it would be a wonderful program to not forget where you have come from and try to help that particular group too. It's really embedded in me. I can't I can't help it. I can't describe it any better than that. This is who I am. Again, Joe Madden is with us. The Book of Joe, Try Not to Suck at Baseball and Life. Joe, uh, something we've talked a lot about this year is just in awe of what Shohei Otani continues to do. Um, I don't know. I, I might be speaking out of bounds here, but I think given our American sports culture landscape, Joe, I'm not sure if we'll ever see someone from the United States do what Otani is doing or maybe be allowed to do, grow up and prove himself at the highest level, not only on the mound but in the batter's box. you think we'll ever see that from an American? Um, shoot, I, I don't think that it uh, necessarily has anything to do with where somebody comes from. Uh, it's just his, his level of, of athleticism and his personal desire to want to compete and do these two things. It's not easy to do. Um, it's, it's impossible to do. And you watch it on a daily basis and see how uh, offensive he can be and how well he runs and he wants to steal bases and, and how far he can hit a baseball and how hard. And then he goes out to the mound and that's this last year. He showed you everything he's got. I mean, that, uh, the way he was pitching towards the end of the season, wow, um, it's top five in, in all of Major League Baseball. So I don't know that anybody from anywhere could either do it or would want to do it because there's a lot of punishment on the body physically. Uh, he, he wanted to play the day before he pitched. He wanted to hit the day that he pitched, and he wanted to hit the day after he pitched. Everybody else is sore. Everybody else is hurting somewhere. I don't know how he did it, but he does it. Um, so I, it's just a unique body composition kind of a person uh, that has just incredible uh, streak to compete. Um, and he's not given enough credit for that. This guy's among the best top two, three competitors that have ever been around. But I, I don't know that it's uh, unique to where you have come from. It's unique to what you got going on inside. Now, Joe, given where you reside in Pennsylvania, would you consider yourself an Eagles fan? Not at all. No. Are you a fan of any NFL team? Oh, of course I am. I grew up a Cardinal fan. Um, when I was a kid, uh, I just fell in love with St. Louis sports just by the fact that my dad bought me a hat at Yankee Stadium after a game in 1963. Charlie Johnson was my first favorite quarterback. And then eventually, and if you get into uh, the um, Jimmy Hart years and eventually Neil Lomax, but also had my, NF my NFL team was um, the Jets because of Maynard. Joe Willie and I are friends, and so it's uh, the Jets but on, the, on that side of the ledger, but truly uh, the Cardinals. And then I adopted the Bucks because I know Jason Light, the GM, and I know Bruce Arians and that whole group. So, but growing up, it's been Cardinals all the way. You know, it's interesting that football is such the 800-pound gorilla, Joe. I, I mean, I think we know that in the American culture these days. Um, but baseball was that for so long. And, you know, when you look at a Mike Trout, 
you know, Jim Hart, for example, I think, you know, for someone my age, you know, Jim Hart was a very good quarterback, but he was not necessarily a superstar quarterback, but yet his name still resonates to me. Mike Trout is an elite level generational talent in Major League Baseball, yet there are kids in America right now that may not even know who he is. Does Major League Baseball have a marketing or imaging problem? I think the big problem there is just time zones um, to be able to get to see these guys more consistently. A, B, that uh, the Angels have not appeared in the playoffs in a while or a long, long time. Michael's got three games there and Shelley's got zero. Um, so I, I, it's easy, I think, to connect the dots regarding a marketing program. But I just, people are asleep on the East Coast or even in your neck of the woods by the time this guy's playing in the seventh inning or sixth inning. So I think that has something to do with it. More importantly, the fact that they have not been able to participate in the postseason or, or win a championship, I think that easily uh, would turn things around for them. So, uh, marquee program, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm upset that we're no longer considered the national pastime, which never even talked about. That's my, my concern. Uh, we have been, we are, and I want to hear that more often, but it's up to us in the baseball industry to get it back to that point where people – it was in that regard. Um, I'm not in charge of marketing and everything else. I don't want to go there. I'm just disappointed that I don't hear that phrase thrown around as often as we had in the past or at all, that we are the national pastime, and I still believe that. Joe, you uh, are you leaving the door open for managing again, or are you content starting the next chapter of your life? No, I'm open. Uh, I'm open, but I also believe a lot of the things in the book and all these interviews that I'm doing might I do see they're going to make me attractive or repel uh, in some way. <laughs> in either either way, I'm fine because I only want to be and participate with the group that uh, sees baseball in the, in the manner that I do, where uh, uh, analytics serves baseball and baseball doesn't serve numbers. Um, you know, people have this uh, idea that analytics exists in a vacuum and it's perfect, not realizing that every group has their own little group that creates this uh, these numbers. And their own little personal cocktail, and it's fallible. It's it's not infallible, and and furthermore, the most important part of analytics is to acquire players, and nobody ever speaks about that. You think it impacts the game on a nightly basis? It's groovy when I hear all the announcers talking about exit velocity and how far a ball went, but that has nothing to do with the competition and winning the game, and that's the part that we've gotten away from way too far. Well, I think that's well well said, Joe. Last one from me. Um... I guess when you think back on that World Series run, we brought up uh, the rain delay. Is there a moment that stands out to you, maybe not necessarily in the World Series, in that playoff run that you think back on most fondly? Yeah, it was game four against the Giants. That was the linchpin of the whole thing. And, well, I mean, that and the fact we were down three games to one, that doesn't even get spoken about. But if you turn it back to game four in, in San Francisco, getting our butts kicked, and came back really, really late to win that particular game with Johnny Cueto on deck to pitch the next day. We still might be talking about the, the Cubs uh, not having a World Series uh, championship. That was the game. That was the game that turned it around. Uh, Wilson's pinch hit, Hobby's big hit up the middle, and, of course, uh, Robles nailing it down at the end. After Matty Moore was magnificent, we had no chance with Johnny Cueto on deck. So to me, the linchpin to all of that, to winning that whole uh, shebang World Series thing was that particular game in my mind's eye and that's how I look that's my, my viewpoint and I really believe it to be true so my last question for you Joe would be this in the life of Joe Madden what was your game for when you look back on your life and you decided that you don't want to suck at life 
What was the moment, what was the challenge that you looked at that people can learn from where you said, you know what, my back's against the wall here, but let's go? When was it? Well, it's in, yeah, it, it's, it's in the book. I think it's a whole chapter. It's about whatever you put out there comes back to you. I was pretty distraught. I was passed over for a major league coaching job. Early 90s, I think it was 91, possibly 92. I'm not sure. And my buddy Jeter Hines got the job instead of me when Doug Grader was the manager, first base coach. And I'd been the minor league uh, coordinator. I did all kinds of stuff. I'd set things up. And I got, in my mind, I got passed over. And I was pissed, man. I was ready to... I was ready. I was, I was wanting to leave the Angels. I can't say I wanted to stop working in the industry, but I wanted to leave. So I was like, not myself. I get on an airplane to go to Midland, Texas to be um, a roving hitting instructor, and some lady sitting next to me just wanted to talk, and I didn't. And so eventually she kept talking and came out of her mouth. Remember one thing whatever you put out there comes back to you. And I, I took my little fuzzy headset off, and I said, would you mind repeating that? And she did, and that just changed my perspective. Right there, that moment, snap the fingers, slap in the face, whatever you want to call it. I got up that airplane in Midland, and I became who I had been in the past. Um, so that one phrase, that one thought, and it always comes down to thoughts, and that changes who we are almost immediately. That's the one uh, phrase. And I stay, I, I, I have it on a shirt. I think about it on occasion when I think things are getting weird. Uh, whatever you put out there comes back to you. Put have out you, positive. Have you vibes. met her since? Like, have you? No, I, I, I have no idea who she is. No, I. It was just. It was serendipitous. So if you put out positive, you get positive. You put out negative, you get negative. Choose. Make your choice, brother. Uh, but for me, it's about putting out the positive vibes, and you carry that with you. And it could be uh, a positive impact on the person sitting next to you on an airplane. Some awesome, awesome sayings in there. It's been a great conversation. Again, the book is The Book of Joe, Try Not to Suck at Baseball in Life with holiday season right around the corner. No better present, and especially with the MLB Divisional Series starting up today. Joe, as a Reds fan, I wouldn't mind seeing you if you want to have one last go at it down there in the Queen City, but no pressure, and uh, thank you very much uh, for hopping on with us this morning. Congrats on the book. You guys are great. I really appreciate those outstanding questions, and thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. If you missed it, that was Joe Madden. Again, the uh, book of Joe, Try Not to Suck at Baseball and Life. I enjoyed that interview. Seems like just a fun dude. Cool guy. And Lehigh Valley, where he's from, that area of Pennsylvania, is a beautiful area. I think it's cool. A little bit north of, like, Philly? Correct. Just, Just north and west of Philly. You know, um, but a cool guy for sure. Busy nine o'clock hour here on Kevin and Quarry. Let's head to the Payless Liquors Hotline. Speaking of Pennsylvania natives. And a guy that has emerged and has really stepped up for the Colts when they've needed it the most. He is Rodney Thomas II, the seventh round pick out of Yale. And he's with us here on this Tuesday morning. Rodney, good morning to you. How you doing? Good morning. Rodney, how'd you spend your mini bye week? Probably your first weekend off in quite a while. Uh, yeah, it was good. Just relaxing, just resting, just getting ready for the next week. Did you go home or just chill here? Uh, I went to uh, I went to Chicago to see a friend uh, for a little bit for his birthday. Nice. And then just spent some time with him. Okay, then, let me uh, let me ask you, Rodney. Yeah. We were debating this, not debating, but discussing this. I'm gonna. You went to Yale, so you're clearly a lot smarter than I am. Okay, and we can establish <laughs> that right away. So I'm going to give you my understanding of something, and then as the Yale professor, I want you to tell me if it's true or false, okay? You are Rodney Thomas II. 
my oh, understanding yeah. has always been that if someone is the second, that means there is another Rodney Thomas in the family, but you are not the direct line underneath it. So, in other words, if your father was Rodney Thomas, you would be Rodney Thomas Jr. So, Rodney Thomas the second means that, like, a grandfather or an uncle is Rodney Thomas as well. But this could also be completely a myth. How do I do? Uh, I couldn't even tell you. I just go by what, <laughs> what they said my name was. I don't know. I, I can't even tell you the rules. Well, is your father Rodney Thomas, or is it so? Yeah, my guy. Yeah, my dad. I got the same name as my dad. Dang it! Same middle name as well. Yeah. Well, that's a tough one for Jake to swallow yeah, this Tuesday morning. Rodney, thank you for humbling Jake here. <laughs> Rodney Thomas II is with us on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Rodney, I-, I want you to kind of take us in your mind of that Week 3 matchup. Julian Blackman gets hurt. You guys are facing Patrick Mahomes. And all of a sudden, I don't know if it was Ron Milas or Mike Mitchell or whoever, looks at you on the sideline and says, you're going in. What were your emotions? Uh, just going in, just knowing I got to – just get a call and execute the call, basically. Just knowing that I got to go in. It was a crucial point in the game. It was early in the game. Uh, so just knowing that I had to go in and step up. And uh, I was like, I possibly, potentially play the rest of the game. So I knew I just had to just go in there and just, uh, just do exactly uh, what we practiced all week and then just take it play by play and then just get just get the job done. I, I would be freaking out. Um, you're playing against Patrick Mahomes. Does that cross your mind at all when you, like, walk out there on the field and you look across the line of scrimmage? Yeah, of course it does. So that just lets me know that uh, I just need to be locked in. He's a great quarterback. So he's known to extend plays. Uh, so he's got to be locked in uh, to, to the whistle. The plays never assume anything uh, playing a guy like him. We can always find a way to get the ball out. So he's got to be locked in all the way to the end. I think a lot of people are fascinated, Rodney, by the fact that you played at Yale. Obviously, you know, Yale has a, a longstanding football tradition, but not necessarily is an NFL springboard. So because you were not at a traditional Power 5 NFL factory, how much did that contribute to being able to answer the bell, if you will, and overcome any sort of adversity that has come your way in fighting your way into playing time here in the National Football League? Uh, basically, just always, uh, just from always having to just work, uh, just like, cause like you said, uh, just from uh, like a lesser, like, like, like no football school, like I guess, like, like not like paid attention to as much. I guess uh, people don't love, really watch as much in the Ivy, um, but just like always having to work hard, cause you know, uh, like, like I said, like come from there, like you have to try to fight just to get your name on the map and just get the guys, uh, just to take a look. Uh, like just just take a look your way and just different things like that and just try to just swipe away just to get your foot in the door basically because I always knew like if I could just get uh, just get my foot in the door I just knew like uh, all my hard work and stuff I would just work hard and just try to make my way up and just earn a name for myself and uh, there's always there's always been my mindset so really just uh, just coming in like that workload and then like that work ethic it just always came with me it just always translated into uh, what I was doing so it just allowed me to just be able to step up and take the most of uh, the opportunity when, uh, when it came to me. Number 25, Rodney Thomas II. Probably helps when I turn my mic on. He's number 25, Rodney Thomas II, the rookie out of Yale with us here on Kevin Aquary. Uh, you were a, uh, it says in your Colts bio, 5'3", 130-pound freshman in high school. Yeah, I, I was really little. 
was football always something that you were playing, or did all of a sudden you hit like, a growth uh, spurt? And... I, I always played football. Uh, like when I was, uh, I started playing when I was nine. So like, and then like coming up, like I was always, I guess, like regular size all the way up through, uh, through like little league and stuff like that. And then, like, uh, I, I was still, I still was like that size when I came into high school. So I grew, I think, growing until going into my senior year. Uh, I got up to like five, six around there, like my junior year. But then, like that junior summer, I came back like six foot, and then. Uh, like that, that hit my girls for like real late. So like my whole like recruiting process basically like took off like that last year. And then at Yale, could you fill us in? You you played a lot of different positions there, and then the decision you had to make during that COVID year um, to maintain your eligibility. Can you kind of walk us through that process? Yeah. So coming in, they told me that uh, that I, they're going to start me a corner, and then I was going to move to safety that next year. So I, I had knew like coming in, I was already going to play like two positions like uh possibly so and then that's what i did i came in corner and then that uh that next year uh they had moving back to safety and then we had uh we had an injury um at a, uh, we called it our viper position it's like outside linebacker with nickel like uh it's like a hybrid position um so we we had an injury there so but uh like it was during camp i think um they had just asked me to come down and play that position so i just came down I played there for a season, and then, and then like it was crazy because, uh, like the guy who got, got hurt in that position, he came back, and then the, we had an injury in the safety position, so I had moved back to safety, and then like we kind of like moved back to like where we, we originally were, and then I had to be finished up the season uh, like that. You know, it's funny. You're one of the few people. I mean, I, Yale folks would be about it. Uh, that can legitimately say that Harvard sucks, right? Like anybody else, we kind of have to, like, give Harvard their due, but you don't have to, right? No, yeah, we we, we ain't allowed to do that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Hey, I I wanted to ask you about this, Rodney. You know, you're coming out of Yale, which is obviously, you know, an incredible academic institution and just a lot of prestige with that. Um, And then you come into the the NFL. Was there – so all of it, I would imagine, is kind of new to you. Your head's on a swivel. What player for the Colts, when you got to Indianapolis, who took you under their wing? Who was the person that really helped make you acclimate and feel comfortable? Uh, I would definitely say uh, just just the DB room in general. Like, just coming into the DB room, like, each one of those guys, like, like literally, like, I could say each one of them, like, each one of those guys, uh, all the guys in the room and stuff. Like, just making sure that, like, making sure we're good, just making sure, like, we know the schedule, just always helping us, just making sure, like, asking if we need anything, just giving us pointers, like, tips, just different things that, like, they do and, like, the different things that they've done, like, to make them successful all the years that they've been in the league. Like, everything that they know, they're making sure that we knew, that that, that we know, like, our, our first year as opposed to them learning it as they've experienced it throughout all the years, so... Like, I'm just real thankful for for everybody in, in, in the room, just for helping not only me for for uh, for, for every rookie that that, uh, that came into the room that year. It's been thrust in. Sorry about that, Rodney. He's been thrust into duty without Julian Blackman. Rodney Thomas II is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, did the back judge from Thursday night? Did he apologize to you after running you over? I guess you probably ran him over. Would be the better way to put it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he came in and apologized, but like it wasn't a big deal. I just. Uh, it was just freak play. Uh, I know, like you didn't like intentionally just try to 
like be in the way or anything like that. And then after the, uh, I forget what had happened. I think, uh, but after that, after the, uh, that series, he had came. He had found me on the sideline. He had just said, "I apologize and did things like that." But we just laughed and like just chopped it up or whatever. But uh, it, it was just funny. Now you were, uh, you are related to Keith Byers. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, that's correct. Um, it, what relation are you to him? Like, di- like close relationship or or distant relation? Uh, close is on my mom's uh, It's what's that? On my mom's side. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but Keith Byers caught the touchdown pass from Dan Marino that made Dan Marino at the time the all-time uh, touchdown leader in NFL passing history and did it against the Colts at the RCA Dome. So that's my little tidbit of knowledge of former Ohio State star Keith Byers and your connection to him in Indianapolis. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. I, I did know about the Dan Marino part. I didn't know it was against the Colts. I didn't know that. Yeah, oh yeah, it was right here. Uh, people saw it and were like, oh, okay, cool. Go Colts, right? Um, yeah. What was your major at Yale? Uh, political science. Wow, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm currently back in school taking algebra, and it's terrible. Did you have to take algebra, and if so, can you tutor me? Uh, no, I'm, uh, I'm about to find someone for that. Yeah. You and me both. Uh, Rodney yeah. last, last one for me. I feel like whenever I'm, you know, been in your guys' locker room, I feel like popular debates are, uh, who's the best basketball player in there and who's the fastest player on the team. Uh, so if I had to throw out the question of who is the fastest Colts player, let's say going out the track, a uh, hundred meter dash, who's winning the hundred meter dash. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna have to take me every time. Ooh, nice. <laughs> now, what would Isaiah Rogers say? I don't know. I'm still trying to get him to raise me. <laughs> Who else would be at the tape with you? Rogers would Paris Campbell, Ashton Doolin? Uh, yeah, definitely like Paris, uh, Tony Brown, Isaiah. Like we were all. I remember we were all just messing around the camp. Like, like all those guys are like super fast. Like, oh, I mean Jonathan Taylor. Uh, uh, Jonathan Taylor, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely Jonathan Taylor. Hines, I don't know. Yeah, so it's, it's a bunch of like really uh, fast guys. Now he's real fast. So I'm like now I'm trying to thank everybody. Rodney, if, if I were to give you a magic wand, and you could wave it or sprinkle it over one aspect of the Indianapolis Colts right now that would most get your team on the path of where you guys want to be, what area of your team or what discipline of football right now is most holding back Indianapolis? Um, I would just say wave it over. Uh, just everybody just doing their assignment, basically. Because uh, I know uh, we've shown it on film uh, when everybody's locked in, and then if we're all just on our key and we can just play the film and just close our eyes and just trust that wherever we're supposed to be on that play we're at, we see that we show up and we make plays on film. So we just got to trust in and uh, lock in and do that every single play, and then uh, the rest will take care of itself. Back from the mini-bye week, the Colts will be on the practice field tomorrow getting ready for a rematch with Jacksonville this Sunday at Lucas Oil Stadium. Rodney, it's pretty impressive what you've done since you've been called upon without Julian Blackman. Congrats on that. Stay healthy and uh, hope you're enjoying Indianapolis. Thank you. Uh, Appreciate it. Thank you for having me.